I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm welcoming to the podcast today, Susan Greenhall. She is Senior Advisor on Election Security for Free Speech for People. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be here. Susan, if you could just give our listeners an overview of election security, where are we more vulnerable than we were in 2016? And where, if anywhere, are there greater protections and firewalls, firewalls in place for 2020? Well, I, I think as far as where we're, we may be more vulnerable than 2016, um, it relates to the coronavirus because there are so many states that are scrambling to implement uh, vote by mail um, on a much larger scale. Um, it's not an easy thing to scale up. Um, so this is a, a, you know, a new process that a lot of election officials are having to um, uh, build in a few short months, um, whereas it, it really should take a much longer time to work out the best ways to conduct uh, a large-scale vote-by-mail operation. Um, so that is one place where um, it's going to be definitely more challenging than what we saw in 2016. Um, I think there have been um, some improvements in the overall security um, awareness from election officials before 2016. Um, there were, there was, it was hardly addressed. And now at least there's a much greater um, uh, focus and attention and, and um, awareness amongst our state election officials and county election officials. But I think we are, have frankly failed, um, failed quite badly in putting in place the provisions that we really needed to um, put in place after 2016, and that's specifically to um, have all of our elections recorded on paper ballots that the voter marks directly, um, preferably by hand if the voter's able, using assistive technology if they may need it or feel, feel more comfortable using it, and then to have um, those ballots counted um, by computers because we need that speed and efficiency, but then audited because we don't wanna just be taking the computer generated results um, at face value. And instead of putting in place the, those widespread or, or those blanket precautions across all 50 states, um, we have seen uh, only one state pass a law to expand its post-election audits to the type that are really robust enough to provide security, and that's Rhode Island. Um, there's, a, there's a number that have some post-election audits that are decent, but there are a lot of states that don't have any type of post-election audit to check to make sure that the computers are counting correctly. Um, and uh, and it's, a, it's actually a big failing that we're four years after 2016, and we haven't seen um, a, a robust nationwide response to um, shore up that transparency and security and auditability for our election systems. Susan, what is the state-by-state -state or federal standard for screening machinery and new technologies that are being employed, whether that is tablets, uh, computing technology, whatever is being assessed that is not possessing a paper trail, does that vary state to state in terms of 
the screening and the the rigor of the screening that goes into approving new technologies that will be used this November? Yes, and that is a huge problem because we have um, a, a, a state-by-state system. Our, our elections are run state-by-state. Um, that's a good thing, but that also means that uh, we have very uneven standards for the technology and the equipment, and that is a bad thing. We need to have um, some better baseline uh, best practices and security around the technology, but each state's testing and certification protocol is is different. Um, we have a federal voluntary program um, where systems can come in and be tested, but it is terribly broken. They're testing uh, systems now that uh, are being tested to, to standards that were set in 2005. Back probably when you had a BlackBerry, you can understand how that is so inappropriate and wildly um, uh, <laughs> unsuitable for the security challenges that we have to face today. Um, the, the testing and certification system, as I said, at the federal level is voluntary. So some states don't uh, apply it at all. It, and as I said, it's, it's sorely lacking because it is, it is very outdated. So you're saying, Susan, that some states don't really do any checking on the technology and it's brought into polling sites, possibly not even vetted in the first place. Uh, there, there are some states that don't have a certification process in place like Mississippi. Uh, actually, I, I do think Mississippi is, is probably the only one that doesn't have anything. But the problem is, is that the standards vary quite um, significantly. Some of them just rubber stamp the federal certification. Some of them sort of take the vendor's uh, representations at face value and say, well, that's good enough. And what something that I've been seeing a lot is um, states uh, sort of bending the rules on the certification to benefit the vendors. For example, in New York City, the election director for the city, which is quite a huge jurisdiction, quite a, a, a huge market, a lot of money um, if you can sell your systems there, uh, went to the state board of elections and said, we really need to buy this very expensive equipment from a certain vendor, ES&S, because um, it's the only thing we can use. We absolutely need it. So can you please waive the testing and certification process? To their credit, the state board said, no way. Um, it needs to go through our rigorous testing and certification because New York has one of the better testing and certification programs. Um, but the, the election official wanted to waive it. We've seen other states where they do just waive it. Uh, in North Carolina, their state law requires a full source code review of the voting machines, but the state uh, uh, board of elections said, actually, we don't really need to do that. So they didn't do it and they they you know, put the stamp of approval on it anyway. So even where we see some states where the, the state law may have a very vigorous um, testing and certification program, then it, it comes down to how well the state election officials enforce it. And many states we see that they don't. Um, there's been a lot of cozying up between the election officials in some places and the vendors, um, for example, ESNS, that vendor that I'd mentioned, uh, was found to have a board of advisors where they would fly their election officials to Las Vegas for a few days or Florida or New York City and put them up. And um, and then not surprisingly, they seem to uh, want to buy their equipment and, and not hold them to too rigorous standards. So the, the problem is we have a completely 
unregulated market, there's no regulation, zero regulation in it. There is this voluntary out-of-date testing program by the federal government. There is an uneven and in many places poorly enforced taste, uh, state testing and certification process um, and, and no overall regulation at all. So this is a place where you need to have federal guidelines when you're putting money into the process because you don't want to throw money into a broken system. Um, but unfortunately, that's where we're at right now. Susan, we often hear stories directly after primary elections or general elections about voters who attempted to vote in one column and were redirected, basically being forced to vote in, a, in another column. And, and that's the open-faced potential fraud that we're aware of each cycle from voters. Now, behind the scenes, in terms of how a press of a button or a tabulation is made, you know, fraud on the back end is not something that voters or the public would have access to. So, you know, we, we know the open facing source of fraud from machines that will force you to vote one way uh, versus another. But all of this evidence that is open facing hasn't really led to reforms um, holistically, but in particular states where there have been issues in the most recent election cycles, so let's say 2016 and then the 2018 midterms, were there, were there those cases that were then corrected and the technologies were audited? Because again, we can know the open source fraud, but we can't know what's going on in the computer that we, we can't see. Uh, I am not aware of any, um, of any thorough investigation into problems with, um, machines miscounting, um, at all. Uh, and, and what we've seen instead was, is, is a, a, a lack of investigation. What usually happens if there's a problem is that it's left to the vendor to, um, to, suss out what the problem is, tell everybody what it was, they find it, they say, oh, it was a bug, we fixed it. Um, and then, and it's left there, that, that's it. And for example, in, um, in 2019, uh, in Northampton County, Pennsylvania, they were rolling out these new, extraordinarily expensive machines, which people had been um, rejecting, not wanting the county to purchase them. The county insisted they were going to purchase them anyway. These are touchscreen ballot marking devices, which means a person, instead of getting a paper ballot where you can fill in a little oval with a pen, you must go to a $10,000 computer machine, pick your choices on a computer, and then it prints out a paper ballot. So it's a $10,000 pen. Um, but what happened, and then this type of machine also tabulates um, the, the, the vote choice at the same time. When the vote choices were, uh, when the, the tabulation was done that night, um, there was a, a county judgeship, which the incumbent uh, favorite got zero votes. They knew there was something wrong because this person should not have gotten zero votes. And they went back and realized that there was a software problem with the way the votes were being tabulated. Rather than um, having a full investigation uh, by independent investigators, 
the county took the word of ES&S, the vendor. The U.S. Election Assistance Commission has not done any investigation, even though this is, quote unquote, a certified, federally certified system, which, frankly, they are, um, according to their program, they are uh, uh, um, required to do some sort of investigation if there's a failure of the equipment. Um, but nothing has been done. The vendor says we fixed it. Don't worry. The, the, the software's been, we're going to put a software patch on it and fix it and, and call it a day. Um, so the ability for independent experts to look at these systems and find out what really happened um, really doesn't exist except in places like the DEF CON hacking village in Las Vegas that you might have heard about where um, people get machines from surplus uh, electronics equipment salespeople. They get them from dark alleys. They bring them into uh, a room at the gigantic hacker convention in Las Vegas and let the hackers have at it. Um, but other than that, you don't really get to see a lot of uh, audits of the machine. One example of anecdotal evidence to my recollection was in the 2018 midterm Senate race between Ted Cruz in Beto O'Rourke, there, there were mm -hmm. some anecdotal stories emanating from that race of folks who were attempting to vote for O'Rourke and that they were redirected to Cruz. I mean, yeah. that tends to be an example of election day failure that we hear about in, in more than one state. So I don't know if that's something you're particularly sensitive to in states that are lacking the rigorous regulation like North Carolina, you mentioned. Well, it's, it's I, the, the Texas situation was terribly concerning. The, the, there were a lot of speculation about what could be causing it. Maybe there's some lag in the way the, the touch is being registered in the machine. Um, that type of evidence generally makes me not think of malicious attack. It sounds just like bad software and bad machinery that shouldn't be used to count our votes and, and uphold our democracy. Um, because if you're going to hack it, you don't need to show the person that you're stealing their vote. It, with that type of um, touchscreen device, the machine could say, oh yeah, sure, you voted for Beto O'Rourke, and then record Ted Cruz on the back end silently and because everything is recorded electronically, the voter would never know. So um, that usually seems less like somebody's overtly trying to hack the machine than you have bad machinery that could be um, disenfranchising voters and you know, is completely unacceptable as well. But um, it, Do you it think any of that back end fraud was going on in 2016? There, there was a Michigan State University professor who initially was investigating whether any of that kind of thing might have occurred in Michigan, Wisconsin, or Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, the problem is um, no one ever investigated it or audited it. Or there, I mean, there's no way to know. Going back to um, what I was talking about initially is the reason that we want to have an audit of the paper ballot of all elections, and that's that audit is is using uh, statistics to take a sample that could um, ensure a level of certainty that the outcome is right. So you're not recounting all the paper ballots, you're using the statistical uh, formula to pull 
a certain number of ballots and make sure that the they are matching what the reported computer generated results are so that you have confidence that the computer is counting your votes correctly. Unfortunately, too many states don't do anything like that. There are many states that don't even have any sort of paper record um, that, that would even enable it. So like in the case in Texas, the vote could change on the back end. You'd never have an opportunity to, to know. In Wisconsin and Michigan, if people actually did an audit of the paper ballots or a recount, which um, there was a, a you know, movement to try and get a recount, it was blocked. Um, uh, that would have been able, we would have been able to know for sure and there would, would be no, um, we wouldn't have to say we, have, we don't know. We would know, but we don't, unfortunately, we don't know. And, and that's something I think that a lot of people mistakenly thought after the election that there was some kind of nationwide audit that all the all the results are audited so that we know they're correct there that's not the case susan i wanted to spend the last few minutes of our discussion on these states that are most pivotal in our electoral college contest this november so three of them we named just now and you seem to suggest that there's no audit system and it's it seems to sound like the scrutiny is rather lax in those states. But of the states that really make or break 270, I mentioned Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. I would add to that list North Carolina, which we've discussed briefly, Florida, Ohio, Arizona, and Texas. Um, if, we, if, we, if you can give us a state-by-state -state assessment of, of where auditing occurs, if, if at all, in, in those particular states? There may be states that I missed that you want to mention. Uh, so they, they have improved the auditing procedures in Wisconsin. Um, North Carolina, um, we'll have to see how they actually conduct the audits because a lot of these, these systems, it, it, the devil is in the details. Florida has, um, has a weak audit and they actually just passed a law today or that over the weekend the governor signed a law which allows the state to conduct all their recounts on computers as well so rather than uh, if you have a very close election like we've seen in florida before rather than actually counting the paper ballots they're just going to run them through or they're permitted to run them through a, a different scanner and scan them again and, and see what the computer um, pops up um, so uh, that's very discouraging um, and problematic because if we see a close election in Florida, um, we're unlikely to see a, a genuine um, hand count. We're gonna be relying on a computer generated result for the, um, for the uh, um, recount as well. Um, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Arizona, Texas were the others. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has a, um, a, a 2% audit, um, which is not a, an audit that can ensure uh, to be, that you would know you'd be able to catch an error. Or in, and th these audits aren't designed to be statewide audits, meaning it will only audit within the county. It doesn't take into account all the, all the counties together. So if you're looking at a contest at a statewide, for example, a senator or a presidential uh, electoral college vote outcome, 
that audit is not going to give you the information that you need to know that those statewide contests are correct. Um, Michigan, I have heard, is trying to get in place statewide risk limiting audits before November. That would be fantastic um, if that happens. Um, but as far as I know at this stage, it is not, uh, it, it's not set and, and finished. Um, and Arizona, again, has a, suffers from the same problem. And, and Florida, Florida, Pennsylvania, um, Arizona, uh, North Carolina, same problem that they don't have a statewide audit um, system in place. So that you may be able to get an audit of the equipment within the counties that might show you that there is a problem. What, what you need to have a good audit, it needs to be statewide. It also needs to be designed to have legal teeth to escalate if you start to see problems. The problem with a lot of these audits is there's an audit in place, but all you do if you find a problem with the machines is you write a report and say, well, this machine wasn't counting correctly, so we, we fix that machine. It doesn't escalate to say, well, let's make sure that the result wasn't impacted by this machine that wasn't counting correctly, or see if there's more machines that weren't counting correctly. Those are the types of audits that you need. Texas? No. Texas, no <laughs> Texas has, a, has a little audit law, but unfortunately, a lot of Texas is still voting on um, machines that don't have any paper, so you have nothing to audit. Final question. For those listening who want to ensure greater rigor in the electoral process, what do you suggest they do? Go out and vote, number one. Go register, make sure you're registered to vote. Check your registration as the election nears. Make sure you vote if you can take advantage of absentee vote by mail. Uh, if the coronavirus is going on uh, and people need to stay at home, take advantage of that. Um, but also become a poll worker if you can, because especially for young people, please become poll workers because in general, our, our democracy is, is so dependent on that. And what we're seeing is a lot of people that work the polls are older people and they're not coming out to uh, work the polls because of the coronavirus. Um, in addition, the more technology that we use for electronic poll books, checking people in for ballot marking devices, um, this is a lot of technology, a lot of computers, and we need people who are computer savvy also to help run that technology to make a smoother uh, process. So um, the best way to protect um, the vote is to make sure that there are going to be polling locations that are open for everybody to come out and vote between now and November. Susan Greenhall, Senior Advisor on Election Security for Free Speech for People. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you.